Hey guys, it's Dan from the Batchat Podcast. We're running our tipping competition again. That's right. Last year we had huge prizes. I think we gave away thousands of dollars. This year it's going to be even better. You have to be a patron though, so head to backchatpodcast.com.au. You can sign up as a patron there. You get access to early episodes and also our merch. It's pretty good. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hello there, back chatters. Welcome to another week while we're on break. I'm sorry, we need a little bit of a rest to come back bigger than ever in 2024. But while we're on break, we thought we'd give you some of the best of what we've done this year in 2023. Been a huge year, no doubt about it. But it got, it got me thinking a little bit, how good was footy back in the day? I'm not talking cricket, I'm not talking tennis or basketball or netball. This is footy stories from way back yonder. We had some great guests this year from back in the day, and we've built a nice little package for your listening pleasure. Uh, this one here, it's not a countdown, but um, Doug Hawkins, he told us about a footy trip uh, back in the day where, you know right now when you get on a plane and you're allowed nowhere near the cabin? Well, that didn't always used to be the case. Any good footy trips back in the day? Yeah, a couple of good ones. Um, you know the story as well, Dan, you know that what happens on a footy trip. Sometimes don't always stay on a footy trip. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us. I heard you went to Disneyland one year. We had we had uh, we had um, the, the famous one was Robbie Gronenwagen, my best man. Um, we were on a flight. This is after the '85 final series, and we're travelling in between Fiji and Hawaii. We've had some real air turbulence. It was real bouncy, you know. And a sign come up, put your seatbelts on, and then in, next minute you hear this on the microphone. It goes from first class to cattle class, right mm. to the back to the front. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking, Captain Robert Gronawagon here. He said, how did you experience the last 10 minutes? He said, turbulence, it's going to get worse. Put your belt on, we're about to go down to the ocean. This went right across the whole plane. You had stewards running everywhere. I looked over, looked at Mick Moldhouse at his hand, he's in the head. <laughs> Mick's on the footy trip. <laughs> Little budgie barge, I was supposed to sit there, come on, he said, I'm... Shorty Daniels is Alan Daniels, and Brad Artie, all the Perth boys, Jimmy Searle, Andrew Purser. Um, imagine, you know, imagine you get shot by a field marshal now. There'll be someone on the plane. So he's, like, so he's jumped on the microphone, told yeah. everyone you're going to crash. Jeez. We're going to crash. Oh we are going down <laughs> the ocean. So when we got into Hawaii, women and children, the, the, the police, never, the police never come on the plane. The army with machine guns. You guys from down under, you don't go nowhere. You stay here. Oh. Wow. So we we're kicked off the Qantas plane. We weren't allowed to fly to uh, Los Angeles. Had to go if United. So you're stuck in Hawaii. So Qantas, we're, we're stuck in Hawaii. So about 12 of us said, we know what? Let's stay in Hawaii for a couple of days. Why don't you stay here? We're not coming back this way. So about 10 of us would rather stay in Hawaii. That's that was, that was a fantastic footy trip. I no doubt will butcher this beyond belief, but that is Doug Hawkins from Braybrook. I think that's his hometown. I'm sorry, Dougie, and those members of the beautiful town he's from, somewhere in the western suburbs of Melbourne. Uh, he's one of the greats of all time in the Western Bulldogs and a cracking story there. Carl Langdon, 1992 Premiership player for the West Coast Eagles. They used to have jobs back in the day. It's easy now for AFL players. Just get down, run laps, play footy, full-time, all good. Back in the day, they used to have part-time jobs, full-time jobs, and just do footy on the side. Carl Langdon was a bank teller, and he got robbed. Uh, working as a bank teller earlier in your career, mm. you were held up by one of the most notorious bank robbers in Australian history. The biggest bank robbery in Australian history at that time in 87, yeah, Belmont Branch. What happened? So I parked my, at this stage, I've got a little red Ford Meteor. 
um, Scoey. Um, and the I, Red Rocket. Yeah. I, Andrew Ingalls, a mate of mine, was selling cars, Ford, working for uh, uh, for was in the city centre Ford uh, with uh, a big fella, Brian Haywood, back in those days. So got that car and parked it. It's right next door is this beautiful white Cordia Turbo and I sort of stood there admiring it. Anyway, I go into the bank and uh, we used to meet at a cafe and so we met at the cafe and Brian and, and Nigel Minchin, who was my uh, branch manager and I, went in and we do a security check to see if there's any visible signs of anyone breaking into the bank. Then you come out, nah, so all the staff go in and sitting there preparing our, our day, you need basically four combination key locks. So you've got Nigel, you've got a lady by the name of Carmel Make, Tony Wally, who used to play a bit of footy for Swan Districts, and George Morton, there are four of them. They take off their combination key locks and Nigel calls out, tell us, safe's open, come and get your cash out. Well, next minute, this bloke just drops out of the roof with a pistol. Uh, now, at this point, I hadn't seen uh, – or I could, or I could hear was girls screaming, and it sounded like the sound because we only there was no technology, just checkbook cabinets. They used to be full of checkbooks because you didn't have the, you didn't have the transactions available on your phone, or yes. there was no internet banking or any of that crap. So it sounded like that. So I come running around the corner, and there's this bloke. Everyone on the floor blow someone's brains out. So I got carpet burn on my chin diving down there, and then I was just laying there, and then. There's this other bloke still up in the roof, so he passes off a sawn-off double-barrel shotgun to the bloke. So he's now got a pistol in one hand, sawn-off double-barrel shotgun in the other. Then this other bloke jumps out, and he's like, his gun's going like this. Next minute, his gun goes off next to Nigel's head. Shot. Goes into – yeah, next to it, shot it off. Yeah, shot it off for real, real bullets too. Went into the, went into the uh, concrete, and then um, he gets Nigel and says, mate, we need the money, so – dragged him and got his keys and opened treasury, as we would call it, and then Carmel actually walked in there. And then another shot shot off. It shot around our, our strong room and actually, thankfully, didn't hit anyone because they're obviously um, built to withstand bullets and those yeah. sorts of things, but ended up lodging itself in uh, our treasury file, which was for traveller's checks, which, is, again, was a physical um, document that you had. To, so it was a nice thick one, so the bullet actually jammed in there. Mm. Um, and nicked off with pretty much um, two or three tins of money. Um, and then I chased out in the opposite direction so I didn't get shot. <laughs> they ran that way. I saw them going past the glass. I thought, I think I'm safe. So I jumped up and ran around the other way. And next minute I see these balaclavas in that white Cordia Turbo really? that I was looking at that morning when I walked into the office. So I uh, saw the car. So then that was the only piece of evidence that I could really give because I didn't see their faces. I knew what they were wearing, um, but I had to go to the Supreme Court and testify. That was probably scarier looking at the guys that had been caught and In the charged. Yeah, and going there just saying, oh, I saw this white Cordia Turbo with number plate such and such, such and such, uh, because that was the only bit of sort of concrete evidence that I had was the getaway car. That was oh. scarier than the shotgun and pistols. Yeah, was well – I mean, the bit that I left out was that when, when, because it was taking a bit of time for Carmel and Nigel and so on to get the money. So you had you had the scenario where he dropped out of the roof. When he got the sawn off to wear a shotgun, he was basically walking around to us blokes, putting it on the side of our heads, going, "I want no heroes, pushing no buttons because I don't want a death today." Fuck. And I just said, "Well, it's not my money. Take as much as you like." <laughs> and he did. How much did they take? Uh, I think it was around one hundred and seventeen thousand at that particular time, like which I believe was the biggest. Um, robbery in Australian history at that particular time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're a jovial character. You're on radio, you tell stories, but that's that's pretty brutal for a young, you young kid. Yeah, well, how's this though? I get a transfer to Subi Branch in Rockaby Road to yeah. be closer to training, and this joint's got front. At least at, at Belmont, you only had one entrance. So yeah. at Rockaby Road, you had a back entrance which came off the car park, and you had one that came off Rockaby Road. Well, so I'm working there and this time I'm in customer service and I'm just standing there and then next minute two blokes come in through the back door and get robbed again. <laughs> so I get carpet burned twice. <laughs> i got to lay on the floor again. They weren't that good though. They, they, they just stole about six grand and got caught at the casino with their girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Thank you very much, Carl. Let's get into this one right here. Michael Braun talking about what it was like to play with the greatest midfield of all time. That's not just my opinion, the opinion of others. We're talking Judd, Cousins, Kerr, 
Fletcher, Stanglon, Cox. I'm probably missing someone. Could be Michael Braun. The midfield, yep. like the, that West Coast midfield talked about one of the, you know, potentially one of the greatest ever. Did you at the time realize what you guys had or was it just like, oh, we're a good side? No, we, 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 we weren't arrogant. And there's a, there's a fine line between arrogance and confidence. And we, in that 05, 06 seasons, we would, we would go up that race just knowing we're going to win. Like we, we, we just know, we just got to, just got to do what we do. And that the midfield was, was fantastic, but the midfield still had another six players ahead of that. You know, we, we had, um, you know, Butsy, Butsy was coming through there, you know, Tyson Stengheim, um, Adam um, Selwood, um, you know, then, you, you know, Fletcher was still part of it, Ember's on the wing, I'm on the wing, you know, Coxie, you know, CB to an extent, you know, but Judd and Cousins and Kerr, were, were great players, no doubt about that. But they but they were even better when they had Stinger and, and Sellers and and Rowan Jones. Like you know, Juddy to this day always says that the first person he'd pick in in that final would be Rowan Jones. Yeah, and we all know that Rowan Jones wasn't the most skillful, but you know what he did add? He had the biggest heart, and and he was mentally tough. And he would do he would sacrifice himself. You know, those three players they were they were the, the stoppers. So Judd Cousins and Kirk could run forward. Because they had the players on the way back, you know. Even me, to an extent, I, I was always running back um, and to help that help out that. But that's that's your role. That that that, that doesn't matter how small or how big that role was. You play your role, and we win. And, and that's it. We and, and there was a real it's a, a really good feeling when you can go up a race, go out into that that field, and have those screaming fans knowing that you are the best side. And you you may you may not be winning at half time or three quarters, but you just know that your intensity because. That's what that was good about it, is the fact is that when Judd come off, Cousins went on. When Kerr come off, Fletcher went on. When I went off on the wing, uh, Embers came on or Butsy came on. Like we had the intensity level to stay at that work rate because we had nine players running through that they could take that. So when those good players come off, another good player came on. And that's what Sydney and all those boys couldn't or the AFL couldn't compact because you may have two or three good players but they can't rotate like we did. We, we had them coming through. They, they just couldn't keep up. You tag Cousins and Judd and Kerr, Embers, Fletchy, me pop up. You, you, you tag Kerr and Embers and me and Fletchy would pop up. You, you can't contain five, six plays. You contain two, not five or six. I remember who I forgot. It was Rowan Jones, one of the great role players of all time. Almost every one of those midfielders that played in that team uh, put him right up at the top with teammates they played with. Uh, let's move to this one now. Corey McKernan, uh, he redefined how Ruckman played. There's no doubt about that. He went on to lead and win the Brownlow medal, but he didn't get it. Let's have a listen. Let's bring it back to 96. Um, as we said, you win the MVP award, um, so it mustn't have anything to do with being suspended, but you win the Brownlow. So... Brownlow is the Monday after the prelim. Mm. In the prelim, you did your PCL. Yep. So do you go to the Brownlow medal? As you know, you don't get invited to go to the Brownlow medal. I was living in Ascot Vale in uh, in Melbourne, which is very, very close to the showgrounds in Melbourne. So uh, living in Ascot Vale, I lived with Matty Capuano and Stewie Anderson. It was probably your typical clubhouse, as you can imagine, Will. 22-year-old. <laughs> 22-year-olds, just Eating two-minute noodles for dinner. And <laughs> no, I, I think I, I was usually the chef in our house at that point. <laughs> but anyway, Brownlow medal night, I think it was me, Matty Capuano, Stewie Anderson. Stewie might have had his girlfriend there. So we all just sat around. And I, I was – I think there's that famous footage of me sitting on the ground, icing my knee. There's a camera in there. So no, well, a... look, so what happened, we started off with the Brownlow and the Brownlow count comes on. And, of course, we're going to watch it. It is, it, is, it is funny when you're actually watching an event at home in your tracky decks and you become the star attraction. Like, <laughs> it was actually funny. So, comes up round one. Um, I think what happened, we played St Kilda. Peter Bell got one vote. Wayne Carey got two votes. C McKernan, three votes. Asterix, right? Big asterix too. But then <laughs> Big the, as your name. Yes. Yeah, so, then what happened is that one of my mates who was there, Muzz, Andrew Murray, he, Muzz then said, I then became Asterix for the night. So what happened? I'm sitting there with my mates. Round two, I don't know who we play, but I got another three votes. Oh, Asterix, another three votes. So this all went on for, kept going on and on. After about six, seven, eight rounds, I'm sitting on, 
like I'm leading the Brownlow medal, right? So it was all fun and games. And then what happened, I think my phone started going nuts. Then um, I think Channel 7, they might have said, oh, can we come in? I said, yeah, you guys can come in. But then after that, that's it. I'm going to shut it down, take the phone off the hook. So then what happened, there's that footage where Channel 7 came in, got the footage of me sitting at home, me icing my knee, showing the, the Brownlow medal count in the corner. So then once I let Channel 7 out of the house, in my front garden at Ascot Vale, I put Subi, the German Shepherd, the German Shepherd and put the dog in the front garden so no one else could get in the house. So when they were trying to, if they were going to try and knock on the, the, the door, they couldn't because Subi was guarding the house. <laughs> so... Oh, look, it was, um, again, now, and I have told this other part before, so then went on the rest of the night and I knew what games. I, I was pretty accurate where they'd say to me, how'd you go in this game? And I'd go, yeah, I reckon I got votes or I didn't or whatever. You, As you know, you got a feeling. Not, like, not, not with me. I had two votes my whole career, so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but then, look, they're asking me a different round. So then this sort of bit of panic actually the only time in the whole night where a bit of panic came out going to round 22 right and this is last the, round this is the only thing i was more dirty about this than the actual brown itself and you know what i'm talking to with what i'm about to say okay so it comes up round 22 we have to beat richmond to get the double chance right so first half against uh, richmond i'm playing on justin charles it's really even like there's 65 70,000 Richmond are trying to win to make the finals at that point which right. was not a new occurrence yeah so then the tigers whacked to the tigers so then the tigers up until half time kept with us but the second half we literally blew them away like we well and truly ran away with the game did it easy one by five six goals right so then they asked me they go how'd you go in this and I go I reckon I've got votes in this game and they go, really? I said, yeah, it was pretty even up until half time. But then when we put the foot down, I said, I reckon I stood up and did enough that I reckon I got a pretty good handle on it. So then we get to the votes. So then it comes up, I think, one vote, Peter Bell, two votes, Justin Charles, <laughs> three votes, Wayne Carey. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm blown up and virtually tipped the top. You know what it's like when you play on someone. That's like if you were playing a drinking game around someone's house. They go, ha ha, that was your opponent. But I'm sitting there and I'm like, they're, they're like, oh, Corey, you've just lost the brown. I'm like, no, fucking I'm playing on Justin Charles. And not that, again, I'm not being a conspiracy theorist, right? I yes. saw an article written by Mike Sheen and I spoke to Mike Sheen about this. So Mike Sheen in the paper... I'm not saying what's in the what's in the paper is true, whatever. We all know that, Will. Yeah. Mike Sheen in the paper actually gave me two or three votes in that game. I reckon that rule sucks anyway. I reckon that it should be just best. Best and fairest doesn't – I don't know. We should get rid of that. Anyway, he doesn't have a brown load. Corey McKernan, a great man and a great chat. Now, John Worsfold, intimidating. Yes. Great man. Yes. Great coach. Yes. Even better player. Worsfold v. Buddha, a.k.a. Whiskers, aka Gary Hocking, one of the greats of Geelong, beautifully permed hair, I might add. Uh, this is them going head to head uh, in one of the great scraps of all time. It became something I did. Um, as a young kid, I played, I went hard at the footy, you know, I, I loved the contest, um, would shepherd hard, teammates protect them, um, tackle hard. So I loved all that stuff. Um, and then in the AFL, I just remember uh, in those early days with West Coast, there was so much commentary, whether it was a beat-up media commentary, um, Victorian-centric crowds, but talking about the fact that the, this West Australian group of players will not be able to play and cope with the smaller grounds, the heavy, muddy grounds in Victoria. They'll be okay on that big, wide-open ground at Subiaco, which is always hard but they will not be able to deal with the physicality of Victorian football. And, you know, I took a bit of offence to that. And uh, they did, um, when we played away, uh, and we were playing on the suburban grounds, so playing at Moorabbin, small ground, 
mad crowd just baying for blood. And no doubt that lifted the St Kilda players to think, let's crack into these blokes like we're at home. They're going to be so intimidated. Yeah. We copped it at Victoria Park with the Collingwood crowd, Windy Hill crowd. You know, there was that one game where someone from the crowd had Don Pike in a headlock over the fence. You know, not, not, not the Marlon Pickett just tapped him on the shoulder, had him in a headlock. Um, so, actually, that actually happened. Yeah, it did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, when, when they took the cheap shots at us uh, in these suburban grounds and these rough, tough, the Saints or whoever it was, Pies, uh, I was not taking a backward step. I thought, we're going to show you that we're going to stand up for ourselves. Um, so from a from early days in that team, um, if anything had happened to me, I would stand up for myself. I'd fight back. And if anything happened to a teammate, I'd try and be first in to support them as well. So, um, yeah, it was just making a statement that, uh, you know, that's it's not accurate the way you're talking about us and it's not the way we're going to be. You were, you were sent to the tribunal four times. Is that all? That's it. I've... I don't, not that you're not that you're a dirty player, but it just seems like for all your yeah. you know, hard hits and stuff, because yeah. you know, there's some great. One hard... of them was for abusive language. Yeah, to was, the was it? What did you say? One and a half thousand dollars. What did you say? Oh, no, I can't repeat that. Uh, it's like <laughs> you don't get it fined now. Hey, the, just ask him if I he saw the, the, um, saw the free kick. The you. age, I think it was the age newspaper printed the Verbatim. transcript of what I'd said, <laughs> and it was just all but blacked out. It was all asterisks and there was almost no there wasn't no English words in there, but. It was directed at the umpire, so you can imagine what I was saying. You, you could fill in the blanks. But um, So you, you had two striking for two matches each, a $1,500 fine, and then no penalty for throat grabbing. Which yeah. is throat grabbing. 1995. Is that choking, or is it just grabbing someone's against, throat? Do you know who? I, I, all it says is 95 throat grabbing. I, could, I, I think that was Buddha hocking. Did, was it? sure, yeah. My, it was my juniors coach, Buddha. Good man. Yeah. No, he's a lovely bloke. Lovely bloke. He... Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I tackled him, I tackled him, a good tackle with the ball, and he sort of made this um, fake attempt to handball it out, so he just punched me in the head, like he just swung, punched me in the head, and as we went to the ground, he elbowed me in the face. So I got him pinned on the ground, and I, I actually ended up, like I was almost doing a handstand on his throat. I had my whole body weight <laughs> on his neck on the ground, and he was starting to kick because he couldn't breathe. He was starting to kick out, and he was panicking. <laughs> And uh, so he, I think in the end he thought the only way I'm out of this, he's like trying to eye gouge me. He's like ripping at my eyes and he got busted. Like he could see clearly I'm trying to pull my head away. And my, his fingers are in my eyes and he got charged with misconduct for eye gouging. And at that stage, I wasn't charged with anything. And then all of a sudden the media went, oh, well, he's doing it because he's getting like choked. We better charge the other bloke too. So then I got charged with throat grabbing. Throat grabbing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're choking yeah. him. Yeah, I know. It was Apparently, self-defence throat grabbing, so that should have been all right. You, but, you may um, have got off on that one because this says... No, we both got off. He got says, off the um, eye gouging thing with like clear picture. Like, Would you both go to tribunal? No, sorry, I didn't, wasn't in my eye. I wasn't, like wasn't grabbing his throat. Yeah, says, I, I would have um, said, no, nah, his finger's not really in my eye. You know, I'm just making it look like it is. Uh, both of those men I was coached by. Coached by John Worsfold at West Coast and Whiskers uh, at the Geelong Falcons, at the Geelong Falcons Footy Factory. Um, thanks to Mick Turner and co down there. Both great men, but if you're fighting Wusher, it's only going to end one way, in my experience and opinion. Uh, let's move now to... I've totally forgotten what we're talking about. Kepler Bradley. That's right. I'm going to continue on with this. Don't worry about this. One take wonder here at Backchat. Kepler Bradley, a cracking yarn. If you didn't know who Kepler Bradley was before this, you do now, and he's a storyteller. Uh, this is an absolute epic one with him, head-to-head with his mate, Ross Lyon. We are playing GWS, and um, and we were winning by, oh, last quarter, we were winning by heaps, 90-odd uh, points, 100 points. And I'd kicked, I think I kicked one or four, maybe four or five points in a row, and I hadn't kicked a goal or something like that. And um, going well, I was in it. Yeah, <laughs> very accurate. <laughs> and the and the crowd was sort of, you know, they were swarming every time I went around it because they just knew I was butchering the footy, so they sort of wanted me to get it only because we were that far in front. It was actually becoming a comedy thing. <laughs> anyway, the, the 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 ball was sort of in in our back line, and I was at full forward against a fella that I I don't even know. So I, he would have. 
been his first game potentially. It's probably and Phil, I, da- Phil Davis, probably. I remember, no, it wasn't <laughs> Phil Davis. <laughs> but, but yeah, I got a, a kid that was sort of, I thought, I'm half a chance of taking a mark here. Anyway, the ball sort of got transitioned out. The runner said, you know, get off the ground. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I sort of was like, yeah, just in a minute, just <laughs> – just let Ross give, would have liked let, that. Let me give you, let me give you the crowd what they want first. So they've switched the ball to the wing, rah, rah, and they've kicked it in, and I've out, taken a mark fifteen meters out against against this fella, and and sort of got up, and De Boer was in the goal square by himself, and I sort of could have probably given it to him, but I was like, ah, give the crowd what they want. So they've, they've, you know, they've, the crowd was sort of not knowing what was happening next, and fifteen meters in front, I've kicked five points, and I've kicked the goal, and sort of just put my hand up to go like, you know. It shouldn't have taken that long to kick a goal. And I've ran off. Anyway, get handed the phone. And I'm like, hello? Did you get the message? Uh, uh, what, what about? Getting off the ground. I said, uh, I did, yes. Why didn't you come? I said, oh, actually, I've, uh, you know, the ball was going to the wing. Oh, bullshit, the ball's going to the wing. Mate, you're waving to the crowd. You finally kick a goal in the last. We're 100 points. So you're playing against an 18 year old and you wave to the crowd. The crowd doesn't pick the team yet. C-U-N-T. And slam that phone down. And I thought, well, I'm fucked next week. I'm not playing. <laughs> Luckily, I did. But um, yeah, he didn't like the wave to the crowd. And I didn't do it to like <laughs> celebrate it. I. Put my hand up to go like, thank God, thank God, I've finally kicked one. So, fuck it out. Yeah, Ross. I right, remember Ross. It uh, sounds like every Freo player we've ever spoken to here that played under him loved him. Um, but Betty, Betty, he, he told you what he thought. But loved it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I deserved it. Come off the ground. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, get off. I tell you what, though, he didn't like blokes that sort of if the ball was coming in and. You sort of duck and you, you put a short arm out and you know you, you you don't you're probably not as hard as you should have been. If you just go, I'm not as I wasn't as hard as I should have been. It's no dramas. Ticked off. Don't do it again. You learn from that. The ones that go, oh, the sun was in my eyes and the ball bounced in a different direction. That's when you see his eyes. <laughs> like a lot of players wasn't that didn't Duff work one that day? out. Didn't, didn't Paul Duffy? Oh, on he, yeah, he might have had one. But the ball was in his eyes. Yeah, it, oh, sorry, it, yeah, just you, you just I just found out at an early stage in his coaching career that you just tell it how it is because the vision doesn't lie. Just let him know that if you weren't hard at the footy, well, you weren't hard at the footy, and then he sort of moved on. He he didn't mind that sort of thing. It was when you sort of tried to duck and dive, yeah, around what actually happened. But I'll whack into a story if you want me to. Absolutely. So uh, we played Western Bulldogs in a preseason game at Mandra, Rushton Park. Yes. When, and I had to play in front of the Hayden Ballantyne wing, which to this day. <laughs> Beautiful part, place yeah, in the world. He's played like 13 games for him and he's got a wing named after him. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I went out there and um, at the end of the game, I didn't have the greatest game of all time. Mm. Key forward, two, two handballs. Yep. Probably wasn't ideal. <laughs> so hopped on, the, hopped, on the, um, hopped on the bus on the way back to Frio and, and uh, got home and rang Summer and I said, look, mate, I'm – it was the it was, and I don't know if they still do it now, but it was the last preseason game, and then you had a sort of a AFL had a buy, and then you AFL round one, yeah. and the waffle round one started in the in the buy, um, in the week off, and I sort of said, look, I think I need to go and play waffle um, to lay leather on boot because I didn't do that today, and he said, I'll leave it with me, I'll ask Ross, and I'll get back to you. I said, oh, okay, no drama. So Monday, I, I sort of roll out onto the. Training track and, and Ross goes, Kev, come over here, mate. I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be great. So someone tells me you want to play waffle this week. And I said, yeah, he goes, you should have the weekend off. I said, oh, did you watch the game, Ross? He's like, <laughs> yeah. I said, I actually didn't lay, my boot didn't hit the footy. He's like, what do you mean? I said, I had two handballs. He said, you competed hard though, didn't you? I said, yeah. He goes, don't worry about the possessions. I said, oh, okay. No dramas. He goes, mate, we know what you give us. He goes, you give us effort. You give us – and at this point I'm like, fuck. <laughs> I'm playing AFL footy. You know, that's, that's one attribute I've got effort. And he goes, you just give us effort and you give us – oh, fuck, I can't think of the rest. <laughs> but I ended up playing against West Coast in round one, which was phenomenal. So, um, But, yeah, it was, it was quite funny how he set himself up for five positives. <laughs> Could only think of one. Why is it that everyone who tells a Ross Lyons story does an impersonation? I I think that's the best impression we've had. Thank you very much, Kepler. 
We should get Ross on. That would be probably even better. Uh, let's move now to Jason McCartney. Now, we heard last week uh, his insights into what happened in the Bali bombings. Well, this story right here is about his last game, his comeback game, uh, and what happened during and after that one. This is an inspirational one. I just wanted to get life back on track. And for me, after what had happened, uh, a full recovery was, okay, we planned a wedding. We've got, that's got to go ahead. And I need to go back to work. Now, work was different, but I just, that to me is making a full recovery. So, yeah, after that last game, a function we went to, which was like after winning a premiership, the victory room at, at uh, what is it now, Marvel, it was Eddie had at the time. That's when it dawned on me when I'm looking down while I was interviewed, had over 100 guests there that night, seeing family and friends, but also some of the emergency service teams, some people were involved and injured, some people that lost loved ones. Um, to see those people and see the happiness that that night had brought to them is really special and a really like privileged position to be in because that wasn't my focus. My focus was to just get our lives back together after what had happened. Footy clubs are one of the great levelers, whether, yeah. whether they be loss, whether it be ups and downs and form, whether it yeah. be mood, relationships, whatever it is, being around footy clips, they're one of the great levelers. So, given you've been through life trauma um, and what you'd been through in your footy journey, I know almost the answer to this question, you're not just walking into that team because they feel sorry for you. Footy no. club's a footy club. Mm. Who's your coach? Who's the coach at the time? Well, that has to, you, have to get, you have to get a game. They're not yeah, just going to play it because you're Jason McCartney. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So it was, an innocent, like it was a really interesting period because our coach, our longtime coach and mentor and Dennis, he'd left at the end of uh, 20, that was a 2002, he left the end of that year. So he'd gone to Carlton. Huh. So well, it was the end of, uh, it was 02. So um, Danny Laidley is our coach. So first time senior coach and he's dealing with, well, first and foremost, I didn't know when Mick and I went away, we've come off this really successful era and with a new coach coming in, Dennis has gone, club probably moving in a different direction. Mick and I didn't even know. Mick's 13 games short of 300, two-time premiership player, one or two BNFs. We didn't even know if we were getting a contract. So that's the unknown of an off-season. Now, they give me a contract. They don't even know if I'm going to survive. They gave Mick the ass, which is hilarious. <laughs> and Mick went to Carlton, played 13 games with Dennis coaching. And I remember him carrying his mum on the ground. He's 300 through the banner and he did his calf. And I reckon he only played half a quarter, but he got the 300. Massive contribution to the Carlton Footy Club, Mick. He'd be one of their all-time greats. Not. But he got the 300. But, yeah, but Lades' coach is dealing with uh, – well, they give me a contract. They didn't know it was to survive. Mm. They certainly didn't think I'd ever play again. Mm. But I'm just so grateful they gave me the opportunity to, to still be on the list. But it was – the game against uh, Carlton with Lades coaching against um, Dennis. So that was before I returned. The game against the Crows, Wayne Carey playing against North Melbourne oh. for the first time. That was that year? That year. And then you've got me trying to get back and play again. So that is a lot to deal with in your first year as a senior coach. Yeah. So, um, yeah, thankfully I got there. Like it was round 11, I think. Like as we all say, I'm pissed off. I reckon it should have been a lot earlier. But anyway. You did your calf, old a, boy. Yeah, I did. It's old man. I did. It's um, old well, the old, the old man syndrome in the calf, it's because I had some decent shrapnel wounds as well. And there's a whole bone <laughs> yeah. in my calf. So, But it is an old man's injury. But um, that, that was one that, it's funny you mention that because that was probably maybe three weeks before I returned, ultimately, the AFL. And that nearly derailed the whole thing because I knew I was really close. Uh, you're just that desperate to get back by this stage and then you just think the whole world is conspiring against you. Like, I, it, it was a, a poor me, why me moment. I'm sitting at home, Narissa's having to put up with my bullshit, but I'm going, Jesus, this, I, I've missed out. I haven't played in, been at clubs or won premierships. I lose one. I, who gets rubbed out in a prelim and misses one? Who goes on holiday and Buddy gets caught up in a terrorist attack? Like, now I'm trying to get back. I'm nearly there. This happens. It's not meant to be. They can all jam it. I'm finished. I've had enough. And thankfully, she was really supportive. And I think she might have spoke to <clears throat> Anthony Stevens and Glenn Archer and even my mate Husey. And once I settled and 
got a sort of put it all in perspective, Guns, is uh, I reckon you've been through a bit worse than a calf injury. You're gonna let <laughs> you're gonna let this derail you and um yeah, it was amazing. Within a week or so I was back playing and it's when I was crystal clear that, that whenever it was I'd I'd play and finish up. So yeah, I had to earn the right. Um, which is I didn't want to be gifted again. Yeah. It's work really hard to get back and um ultimately you just wanted to go out and perform and it's about the team. So I just wanted to win that night. Like I think playing Richmond that night, Friday night's obviously big in the AFL, big in Melbourne. We were probably two of the higher ranked Melbourne clubs at the time. So it was a really important game. So yeah, you wanted to earn the right and then you wanted to, you know, hopefully be able to perform. And like the game was pretty remarkable. Like once again, I talked about those late nineties grand finals and not much rotations. Well, certainly starting on the interchange bench, there was very limited rotations in the early 2000s. So I spent the whole first quarter on the bench. I knew that I'd probably get used as a forward and I had the gloves. So in the warm up, I trialed a new pair of gloves and they're magnificent for marking. But the set shot, they're, they're just a bit too sticky. <laughs> so thankfully I reverted to the ones I'd been wearing all season. So there's still a bit of grip, but it was a bit easier to kick. Like if you're back, it wouldn't matter. You just handball it, so you'd be right. Correct. Take 12 intercept marks and away spoil. you go. Yeah, strap, spoil. strap it into a fist and just yeah. run around like that. But then I, I came on at quarter time and uh, I'll never forget it was the, uh, so it was the southern end there at, um, at Docklands and it was the Richmond cheer squad end and they stood as one and applauded and it was like, I've never had that. <laughs> and it worked well because I think I gave away two free kicks and maybe had one kick or a handball. I got you. Third quarter, what did I do third quarter? Maybe another free kick or two against a point, nothing much. Three quarter time. And it was only, um, we'd had our leadership meeting on the Friday morning after team meeting. And that's when I told the other leaders that win, lose or draw, I'll be finishing. Right. So they're the only ones that knew. And I'm going in there and I'm thinking, shit, I haven't gone well here. I'm going to be back on the bench. <laughs> Thankfully, my name was still up there. Um, and early in the last quarter, David King kicks one forward and I got in front and marked, kicked a goal. And I was absolutely shitting myself lining up for that one because the glove again, although it was the older ones, I knew they were a bit grippy. Um, but that went through. And then very, very late in the game, I think we're down by a couple of points and I was able to, the glove come in handy again, ground ball, hold my opponent back and it was like Velcro. <laughs> And I've got swung around in a tackle and I've dribbled this wobbly punt that went about six metres. And people say now, oh, it would have went through. It wouldn't have. <laughs> it would have been, you know, they would have scooped it up five metres short. But Lee Harding, um, Lee was super quick as a player, but even quicker running towards goal. And he just swooped on it and scored. And ultimately we held on, uh, I forget now, two or three points we, we won by. So it was, um, it's just so... Like to go through everything I and we went through and then I look at our wedding day and how perfect it was and I look at how that return game, how it panned out and it's just like, I just couldn't have scripted it to be um, that way. It was like an absolute fairy tale. That's a way to go out from Jason McCartney. After that comeback, um, if you want to catch that full chat, uh, I'd go back and listen to that one if you haven't heard it before. Tom Hickey. Uh, he lays claim to saying he's played with the best starting 18 in the country. So he's played four different states, four different teams, just retired this year from the Sydney Swans. This is his story about the Gold Coast Suns not wanting to play him, but not wanting to trade him either. Speaking perfectly candid here, yeah. um, I don't think Bluey liked me. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and... Um, I was like a young player who wanted to play and asked a lot of questions. Um, and then at that time we had uh, Zach Smith, Josh Fraser, Roy Thompson was a ruckman, Charlie Dixon was a second ruck, Tom Nichols was a ruck, Dan Gorange was a ruck. Some depth. And all report like absolutely locked. Kurt Tippett's coming. Kurt Tippett's coming to Gold yeah, Coast. He's coming too. home. It was absolutely locked. And that deal got done and then revoked. And, and in the meantime, I was in and out North Melbourne again and St Kilda were like, Hey, we think you're okay. We'd like to bring in. We've got some sort of older, well, I mean, Todd Goldstein wasn't old at the time and Ben McAvoy not at the time, but we didn't really have a lot under that. 
Um, and this was the time, like this was, I don't know if it's something, they used to like really go after players and like take them out for dinner and oh, I felt like a king. Like it was great. I felt wanted. 20 year old rock. Like, oh my God. Um, and so then that was kind of all came through. And then I went to call Bluey after my end of year and um, I've called him and he was on a plane back to Perth and he missed it. He didn't, he missed a phone call. In that flight, Kurt Tippett had reneged and gone to Sydney. And that was like a big part of my reasoning to him that, and like, I'll, you know, once you're sort of done, once, you, once you've made your decision, you've made your decision. And I've, he's heard that news. And then I've called him to tell him we're getting traded. And he's just, he's let me have it a little bit. Great. Wow. Um, well, he's allowed to be emotional. He's, he's a human being. Yeah. yeah. Um, Maybe he did rate you then. Yeah. Well, he's like, we just won't he, trade you. He's like, he's like, he, first he goes, you think you're so much better than you are. I was like, oh, well, I don't think I'm like, like I'm just, okay. And he's like, and we won't trade you. We'll pick you. We got first pick in the pre-season draft. We'll pick you back up. I was like, deal this yourself, pick you back up. And this is like, a, like a little bit of a story was like, you know, uh, in that pre-season, um, the pre-season year before, they sat us down. They said, guys, we've, we've got like, we think we've got 35 players or 33 players that can play every game this year. Like we've profiled the list. Um, Josh Caddy, you played two games last year, but we think you're up for it. We think your body's up for it. Tom Hickey, you played two games last year, but we don't think you're quite there. We don't think you're up to it. We don't think you're right. You don't, not to say you might not play one, but we just don't think you'll play this year. This is in front of everyone, just unprovoked. Like, <laughs> and I didn't, and like I was pretty real about where I was in my football, and I didn't really think anything of it until like three guys came up to me after the game, like, are you right, mate? Like, you're right with that? I was like, oh, yeah. And then I ended up playing round one, which was like a, so I kind of like, and in my exit interview of my first year, he's like, oh, I had to fight to keep you out of the team for the first, like for three weeks. Right. And I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Cheers. So, so it was an up and down relationship. A little bit. So, yeah. But, um, so you get one dime and your first trade experience, it's, it's remarkable we'll be able to speak about three of those, but you, you, your first one. That so, was the most anxious. That was right. definitely the most anxiety. Because of where you could. Go or well, just go. like and they telling, were like, and Bluey's telling you, isn't Well, trade. they're like, yeah, and Scotty Clayton's like, we're not, we won't trade you. Like, we'll just pick you back up. And also, like, just the unknown of like, right. I've never done this, and it was like a four-week trade period at the time. It was just too much. <laughs> um, Did you have a manager all, at the time, like helping you through this? Or? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like, great. He's I've had the same manager the whole time. He's really good at getting you traded. So. <laughs> 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 um, like no endorse like none of those endorsement stuff like he's there for player <laughs> movement tom reggie hickey one of the great men of footy a true journeyman and that is with no offense uh intended now uh let's talk about tom boyd uh this was a ripping chat as well um spoke about the ups the downs the in-betweens the mental uh uh pains and and um and struggles he went through as a player ended up in his retirement earlier on as a number one draft pick have you ever thought or wanted to know about how much these guys earn the number one draft picks like we spoke to tom when guys get drafted it's you know especially back then i don't know what the salaries are now again walking out of school into 69 grand i think we had cost of living and chucked on that which was 10 or 12 percent and then i had a couple of other things that came through given that i was the number one pick you know it's it's good money it's crazy money for a guy who comes straight out of school but um you know, it's not life-changing for a lot of people. And there's a, you know, people, again, don't want to hear this. It's expensive to be an AFL footballer, especially when you're young compared to, you know, your mates who are at uni eating ramen at home and, you know, just pottering along and drinking, you know, beers only at happy hour. Um, there's a lot of cost that goes into eating the right things and travel and, you know, organising your finances and all that sort of stuff. So um, it was a massive jump forward. And, you know, to, to the point about um, whether they actually said they were going to trade me or not, it was just this period of time where, you know, I'd gone away at the end of that first season and I was cooked, you know. It had been a big year, you know, much like the college system in the States. That first season, say, if you get drafted into the NFL, it's kind of a two-year straight run because you don't get any time off because that off-season that you typically get at the end of the year is spent doing the draft preparing for the combine, all of that sort of, and, you know, for us in Australia, it's doing your exams as well. So yeah, I'd essentially yeah. been running nonstop from January to um, the end of, uh, well, definitely not into September that year, at the end of August <laughs> um, uh, with the Giants. And so I'd gone away. So I said, I wanted to go overseas. I went over to, to the place called the Mentorize um, for a surf retreat. Um, there's no reception, nothing. It was just get away. 
thankfully, I signed power of attorney over to my manager before I left. Um, and whilst I'm over there, that news of Griff asking for a trade to, to us, right, specifically to the Giants, which is a big part of this whole thing, um, broke. And, um, you know, I got this uh, got this sense that obviously something was happening. My manager texts me, dad texts me, because um, we could do iMessage over the Wi-Fi. And the advice got given all through all the turmoil, because it was no guarantee this was going to go through. The likelihood that they just said, no, go away, um, bad luck. It was going to make my life so much more difficult dealing with the Giants players the following year and the club as a whole and the football public, right, especially if the number got out. Um, but Dad said to me something that always has stood out uh, in my mind from a memory point of view, which was, you know, for everything good that happened in his life, especially in business, it always always happened when he was willing to take a risk and he was willing to put something on the line and risk something to get something more than what he currently had. And I took that in as a 19-year-old and, and had a crack and, the next few days were hell on earth, like the, the amount of people who are, who were not happy with the number because the, the, the seven-year, $7 million contract leaked at that stage right in the midst of this whole thing. And, you know, the criticism came thick and fast. Much of it was obviously online. It wasn't really getting to me at that moment, but, you know, in hindsight, it was quite significant. And to the point of the 19-year-old, the thing that happened with me that really changed the landscape, if you will, is not the money or the time. It's the fact that I was the first real high draft pick who said, you sign me for two years, I don't care, I'm going to leave anyway, um, and force my way out of the club. And that for the football loyalists, the club media departments, even the AFL as a whole is a real threat to their model of building players as part of these clubs and the superstars that drive membership, the superstars that drive viewership. Um, you know, I was doing the exact opposite. I was getting out of this new club who needed players like, you know, hopefully I would end up have been um, to stay and to build something at the Giants. But um, obviously I had other ideas. You just watched one of the best stories from our full podcast. They come out Wednesdays on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Get to it. Tom Boyd, a ripping storyteller. That one was a very good one. Let's finish off now with uh, this one happened a while ago. Charlie Dixon, this was early on in the year. Um, a really, really genuine yarn, this one. And Charlie was an inaugural member of the Gold Coast Sun uh, Suns. Tom Hickey was one of those as well. So we've spoken to a couple of, uh, of these boys. Uh, this is about what it's like uh, in a startup team. The Gold Coast Suns, when they first started, they barely had an oval to operate out of. So facilities and no senior players. Like, like what? What is it like to be in that? Like, you, do you have a team song? Like, what? What, what are you guys? What are you doing over there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, I don't even think we had a team song because we were called the GC Seventeen for a while in that like first because it was seventeenth team. Um, we wow. went the Tac Cup. I can't remember if we sang a song. Wow. Because I remember the first time we won a game in the AFL. We held up, um, our property guy held up the lyrics. <laughs> like, oh, I mean, it's crazy. And isn't we're it? all looking at it, like, yeah, reading it off the thing. Cause, like, and it wasn't all finalized until we we're actually in the AFL, yeah. which what we were called. And yeah, so the Suns, the sons and, yeah. and everything like that. So that's, that wasn't sort of through until we we're like halfway through the VFL year, I'm pretty sure, if wow. I can remember back then. But, yeah. But like, like I said, it was just like – Did you just, have club rooms? Yeah. Didn't you have dongers and stuff? Yeah, we had dongers. Yeah. <laughs> so out the back – like when – before they started building Carrara, the stadium. Yeah. So it was Carrara back then. And it was – I grew up so – well, all the footy I did was at that – it was a big sort of big so ground. Like home ground. It was like home ground huh. sort of thing. And, um, and then we went – and then they built a big tin shed for our gym but before they did that we were in demountables like no bigger than this room and you got like 40 blokes in there lifting like doing bench press and <laughs> doing dumbbell like all this other weird stuff and then then they built us a big tin shed that's where all the gym stuff was like and then um bikes and all that stuff was in there and and then when they started demolishing carrara they moved that picked that shed up moved it down to the back near the river and then we trained out at the, on the soccer ovals, which our guy McKenna, he broke his ankle out there Ooh. doing some training with us. Oh, in a divot. In a divot, yeah. And then same with um, – Any players? like Harrow, he did a um, – wow. he did a – yeah, did an ankle, had to get surgery. Like it was an absolute goat track. He played AFL at this stage or still in the VFL? No, this is still VFL. Oh. I mean, the pe people, people are critical of Gold Coast performance in the first few years. Yeah. 
I mean, probably probably speaks to a little bit of the fact. You know, like ammo's. Well, it starts like a, you know, it's, it's worse than ammo's, mate. Ammo's, you have senior players. You can, <laughs> yeah, that's true. You, can you have the culture. You walk into an amateur club, and it's like these are the rules, boys. Yeah. This is when you can, you know, on field, like this is what we do. This is what we stand for. But off field, this is when you drink. This is got seventeen year old blokes trying to set culture. Like, yeah, that's a difficult ask, right? Yeah. Well, then we had a couple of sort of senior boys, Danny Stanley, Sammy Isles, come from um, Collingwood. They came to the for the VFL year. I think we had maybe one or two others as well. But yeah, we're still sort of, they're still kids as well, you know. So mm. we were just trying to make our own way, and mm. and um, yeah, and the sort of <laughs> how it all ended up. But yeah, like I didn't have the whole time I was there. The new newest facility we had was the stadium Metricon. They were the newest change rooms that we had, but we were still having all our team meetings and. St- everything else out in the dongers, in the shed. out the shed. So when I moved to Port, I think it was a year or another year after that, they got all the new facilities. Right. So it was seven years. Seven like, years, yeah. yeah. Do you think it would be different? So obviously now there's a lot of talk around the Tassie team. Do you oh, – surely they can't do the same thing again. They would have to build in better oh, structure absolutely. in place for a Yeah, I think so because it's like, I mean, uh, sort of you look at the GWS and – the way they sort of did it, I suppose they may have had like they looked at us and what we probably didn't do do right, and then they made sure they did some certain other things right over there and whatnot. So to be able to, they've got two um, guinea sort of, pigs, yeah, like two <laughs> guinea pigs really. So they don't really have an excuse if they're going to go for another team in Tassie yeah. that it needs to be sort of someone that goes in there and knows how to, knows how to run the place properly and get certain players in that are. Like that, like yeah, I just did probably the 24, 25 year olds that are sort of coming through and are genuine leaders and can run the football club and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't still wouldn't change a thing. I mean, I still like, I was so privileged to be able to play there and, and be a part of like a brand new club. Like, I love that place and yeah. probably loved it a little bit too much. And <laughs> <laughs> get carried away a little bit because no one knew who we were and we could go and have a drink and oh, no one would mate. even bat their eyes at us other than the coaches. The, the hub over there, when we spent time in the hub, yeah. I just remember thinking, like, how does not every player in the AFL want to play for Gold Coast? Like, this yeah. place is unbelievable. <laughs> no one knows a thing about you. Yeah. The beaches are beautiful, great restaurants. Like, yeah. weather's great. It was unreal. I can see how much you loved it. There we go. That's it. Our 10 best back-in-the-day yarns in AFL land. Thanks for letting us have a little bit of a break here at Back Chat. I hopefully enjoyed that little highlights package. We will be back with one next week. Uh, I'll be here, right here, wearing the same kit right now because we had to pre-record these and have a chat before each one. That's how we've been doing this. Hopefully enjoying it. I'm talking shit. Back Chat Studios, subscribe. You know what to do. <laughs> Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.